0: I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Um, I'm excited to continue our Revelation series titled Dear Church. If you'll join me over there in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2, today we're going to look at the address to the church in Smyrna. And I have some background that I'd like to share with you. I think it's important. Uh, to the message today. It's always exciting uh, to see words written and read by Jesus Christ because he spoke them. And, uh, you know, it's important to understand, when you see something from Jesus Christ, you know 100%. There's no error in it. There's no ill will in it. Uh, there's not deception. He means, he says one thing but means another. And we can know that because he raised from the dead. He's verified the entire Old Testament for us verify the New Testament. We can learn and grow, and everything that he says is not only applying to the people that he wrote, the second church in uh, Asia Minor here, which is Smyrna, but we can also take and learn from it too. That's why I'm excited about this series, because oftentimes we're trying to figure out what the Bible says, but we never really let the Bible say what it has already said. Amen? Amen. Uh, we surround ourselves with commentaries and concordances and different translations, thinking that we make ourselves more wise because we hear from other men. But uh, it's very important to let the Scripture speak for itself. And Jesus here is addressing a church that was heavily persecuted. Some interesting things about this church. The first thing I want you to note here, it is this church in Philadelphia later on in our study that receives no condemnation from the Lord. There's nothing to correct. There's nothing to speak about them in which they need to get better at or stop doing. We saw the church uh, at Ephesus last week, and we could call that the loveless church. They were able to stand up for what was right, but they had no love for the people they were trying to reach. And I believe that is a lack of putting the gospel first. We saw how, I think very clearly, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which comes up later in our study, uh, can be modeled in the Catholic church today making the people in the church higher than the people who come to church you know for the longest time uh, the catholic church persecuted peasants and people who wanted to read the scripture in their own language they intentionally kept it in a very difficult language of latin so that people could not understand it. you had to go and hear it from the priest directly and then with the bible being printed and being able to be put in many different languages a lot of what the church was teaching uh, was a It was a lie. It was heretical. It was not true. It's all heresy. Uh, Martin Luther famously nailed his 99 Thesis to the door of the Catholic Church in protest of indulgences. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, there were people who would go around representing the the Catholic Church and they would offer uh, you to put money in a bucket uh, so that you could pay for your sins. Okay, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body. Okay, So it's either the bucket or the body. Which one is it? Okay, And this is important to understand because uh, if we're not careful, we're going to have the wool pulled over our eyes. We're going to listen to people, we're going to listen to churches and listen to ministries and say, oh, sounds good, looks good, must be good, but we never verify it with what the Scripture says. Never, ever take for granted what we have in a printed Bible. I know we've got it online too and I'm not saying anything negative about that, but the fact that we can read the Word on our own at any time that we please, the average number of Bibles in an American household is 2.5. Think about that. Two and a half Bibles per household. That's amazing to think of, and yet no one knows where they're going when they die. People have no idea what they believe. They just know, you know, we have the Bible. Okay, have you read it? <laughs> I heard a great illustration recently about um, a pastor who was going uh, to a doctor because he had a toothache and he was given a prescription. He gets a prescription, and uh, he gets it filled. He takes it home, and he never actually takes the medication, never actually reads what's on the bottle. One week goes by, and his toothache is getting worse and worse. Two weeks go by, he can't sleep. Three weeks go by, he can barely function. He goes to the doctor, and he says to the doctor, Doctor, what's going on? Like, I have this toothache, and, and, you know, you were the one who was supposed to solve this, and it's not getting better. It's actually gotten worse. And the doctor says, that's so odd. By this time, you should be 100% healed. Uh, did you, did you uh, take the prescription? And the pastor said, well, yeah, I, I took it and got it filled. And the doctor's like, did you take it? Did you read the instructions on the bottle and take the medication? And the pastor goes, oh, no, I didn't do that. Isn't that sad <laughs> that that is a wonderful description of teachers today? They know all about the things in this book, but they don't know what this book says and they're teaching people, and people are going out and trying to be very humanitarian and kind and and polite to people. Uh, We don't want to judge anybody because, you know, Jesus didn't judge anybody. Huh? (laughs) You should see some of the things that Jesus said very clearly to the religious leaders and to other people who doubted him. The whole whole point of parables was to disclose the truth to those who wanted to hear, and those who were looking to merely uh, mock and ridicule, the truth was hidden from them. That doesn't sound like What our modern churches are teaching today, we're sacrificing all of our principles on the altar of cultural relevancy. It's a very dangerous thing. But we're going to talk a little bit about this location here. If you take a look on the screens, I'll have uh, some pictures for you. This city is still in existence today. It's modern-day Izmir. It's in Turkey, and it was a seaport on the Aegean Sea about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Now, what's interesting here, if you take a look up on the screen is that, uh, remember how Jesus was in the midst of these seven churches? Uh, The inference there is that those churches were in somewhat of a circle. And so you can kind of see here all of the churches that we're looking at in this series. You've got Ephesus right down there where we uh, looked at last week, and now we're looking at Smyrna. Uh, Three of these here are port cities, and it's important to understand, as a port city, they had a lot of different people coming and going, okay? Okay. And this was on the Aegean Sea, 40 miles north of Ephesus. There's Smyrna right here. That black dot there represents Smyrna. Late in the first century, it was a large, wealthy city with a population of about 100,000. It still thrives today as Izmir with a population of about 200,000. This is a recreation of what it may have looked like in in Jesus' day. Uh, you can see here the very large port. Uh, not all ports looked like this. They had designed it this way intentionally. Uh, it was it was called the Crown of Asia Minor, and it was right on the uh, end of uh, Mount Pegos, And I'll go through that here in a minute. But it was a beautiful city. You can see here the trees; um, they were very pretty and maintained. There was a lot of flowers, a lot of uh, myrtle trees. It was it was a decorated city. Lots of pagan behavior going on there, and you'll see that uh, in a moment. This is what it looks like today. Uh, this is modern-day uh, Smyrna, now Izmir. And this is actually a picture that's really cropped. The, I couldn't find a good picture that didn't have a bunch of uh, like stuff on there that made it hard to see. But if, if you were to zoom this out, there's a good portion on the left and right of this picture. But you can kind of see where that port used to be or would have been. Look how densely packed that is. There's a lot of people that live there, according to uh, a census recently. It's about 200,000 people. Smyrna was one of the loveliest cities in Asia. It was called a flower, and ornament, and it, was, uh, it has been called the crown of all Asia. The Acropolis is located on Mount Pagos, and I've got a screen here for you. I've got a shot on the screen here for you. There's that mount, okay? And then right down here is where you would see Smyrna. This is, still, this is a more modern picture, but you can see the mount here. See these nice, beautiful trees that were lining around the city? Uh, This was not a poor place. It thrived. There was a lot of merchandise coming and going out of there. A lot of money was being traded. And a lot of different thoughts and religions came into this uh, little city. It was called the Crown City because the Acropolis was encircled with flowers, a hedge, and myrtle trees. The city was adorned with noble buildings and beautiful temples. And I want you to take note of what these temples were built to. You had a temple of Zeus, a temple of, there's our lady again, Diana, and you saw how prevalent she was in Ephesus. Uh, She was just as prevalent here in Smyrna, a temple of Aphrodite, a temple of Apollo, and a temple of Asclepius. I'm not even saying that right. Asclepius, he's called the god of medicine, but uh, there was a temple towards him there and there were routine sacrifices going on. Tribute was required by those who were governing the city. But Smyrna also had a theater and an odium, that is, a music center. It was the home of music. It also had a stadium, and it was at this stadium that Polycarp, and you'll remember Polycarp if you're familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs, but he was a bishop of Smyrna and a student of the Apostle John. He was murdered. He was set on fire at a stake in the stadium in Smyrna. Now, that was in 155 A.D., And at the time of this writing, it's about 96 when John is writing this here and getting this vision on the Isle of Patmos. So it's interesting to see that just as prophesied, you're going to see what Jesus says in just the the verses we're going to look at in our our context today, to be faithful, to not be uh, weak in the persecution. I have some things up here. Uh, This is an image of uh, Polycarp on the stake to which he was burned very interesting to note, and this will come up later in our message, that a majority of the people who gathered the sticks and bundled them together were Jews. This is interesting because you're going to see later on in Jesus's address, he uses a phrase, and a lot of people take this phrase that we're going to look at today, and they they, they teach something like the church replaces Israel. And when you get to replacement theology, it is very easy to look at Israel now and say, no, 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 God's done with Israel. God's done with Jerusalem. And now the church is Israel. Folks, if that becomes true, then Daniel 9 is is false. Because Daniel 9 says, upon thy city and thy holy people. He's talking about Jews. Jews is Israelites in Jerusalem. Not some church in America. Not the body of Christ, which is separate. And this is how you get down the rabbit hole to things like mid-tribulational rapture. Things like replacement theology things like post-wrath tribulation rapture you got to be able to rightly divide the scriptures but it is interesting to see that most of the people that gathered the wood that was needed to to burn this christian let's this is exactly what he was he was known as a christian acts tells us that they were first known as christians in antioch and they were persecuted as such even when uh, um uh, when the Roman emperor came along, Constantine, and actually made Christian, Christianity the religion of the world, he called it Christianity. He did not call it Judaism. He did not call Christians Jews now. And so it's important to understand the difference here, but it's also important to see how heavily involved the Jews were in the persecution against their own Messiah. That's not to hate them. That is just to say the delusion is very, very strong within our flesh. We have to be careful of that. This is the last quote that uh, Polycarp had before he was burned at the stake. What he was required to do was to recant Jesus Christ as the king and uh, to pay tribute uh, to the king at that time. Not only just pay tribute, but recognize that he is the one true king. And that is a false, it's, it's incorrect. And Polycarp took a stand and it cost him his life. But as we're going to see later in here, he receives a crown for that. Eight, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? This is a perspective of a man who knew the scriptures. He studied under John. He was a a disciple of John, so to speak. And I can't help but uh, think about how impactful and influential those statements were to the Christians who saw him burned. Many thousands of people lost their lives in Smyrna because they simply identified with Jesus Christ. This is to the persecuted church. This is to the church that... I don't think is meeting in America, folks. We're not being persecuted here yet. But there are churches across the ocean uh, who are meeting today secretly, who are caring for one another secretly. And in the event that they are exposed for who they are, they they, they disappear, but I believe they're gone. They're taken away. Uh, Did you know that most Bibles are printed in China, yet they cannot be sold there? Interesting. Very interesting to see. And China's buying up a lot of real estate, China's making a lot of investments in American businesses. And it's not a joke. When we, when, we, when we look at the threat that they are, they have a... If you look at the youth in China and the youth in America, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> There's a difference. Our youth right now is being challenged to think about what gender they are. The youth in China are being ready to fight viciously. I'm going to leave that right there. But you've you got to have your eyes open and recognize what's going on in the world today. We're in the end times, I've, I fully believe it, but let's take a look at the things that Jesus says here. No recap of last week, just to understand that that first church, we can understand it as the loveless church, and Smyrna here, now that we have all this information and knowledge on it, uh, is the persecuted church. Verse 8, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, page thirteen thirty-two. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is the body, this is the messenger, the pastor, the elders, those who are handling the word of God and uh, attending to prayer, write these things. How important the position of pastor is. It should not be taken lightly. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now this is a very interesting, unique address in chapter or in verse one jesus says to the church at ephesus these things say he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks but in verse eight here when he is going to give nothing but commendation to the church in smyrna he recognizes as he speaks to them the fact that he is the resurrection from the dead why is that important because the believers in smyrna were dying And Jesus is not writing to say to them, that's going to stop. He is saying it's going to continue. But guess what? You can partake in the fellowship of my suffering. Isn't it great to know that Jesus is not some politician, some leader who has no idea about the infirmities that you and I suffer every day. He was persecuted more severely than we were persecuted. And he had no sin. As it said in 1 Peter when Jay had that as our scripture reading, he left us as an example. He left us an example in his suffering. What an encouragement. This is not just some, Jesus was thinking of what to say and he said the first, the last, um, and the one that that is alive. He's talking specifically here, highlighting about his resurrection and to encourage those believers in Smyrna. You're going to die, but then you're going to live forever. Amen? And folks, you and I can have that same comfort We've talked about how important it is to see the threefold aspect of these letters. The first fold is the direct one, the interpretation to those believers in that day. The second one is to how we can look at churches today, churches in our time today who suffer or who are loveless, as we saw in Ephesus. And then the third fold, which is more of an application than it is a direct interpretation. But the application here, the third one, the third fold is for you and me today. Different types of believers. I want to read you this about Smyrna, the word. Smyrna means bitter. Uh, The Greek word translates the Hebrew more or myrrh, and it is a fragrant perfume used in embalming bodies. Now, if you're taking notes here, I want you to write down Matthew 2, verse 11, which is when the wise men came to see Jesus, gold frankincense and what folks myrrh which theoretically would have been crushed the petal of it would have been crushed so as to bring forth the fragrant smell think about that you can have a piece of myrrh and it, it, it smells not that great not as sweet as it could be not until it is destroyed is when it gives out a fine powder <laughs> isn't this a, isn't this wonderful to see the comparisons here So Matthew 2.11 is when the wise men brought that to Jesus as a young boy. And then in John 19.39, John chapter 19 and verse 39, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus bring to Jesus' embalming process myrrh. And now Jesus is writing to a city which very meaning talks about bitterness, and then fragrance coming from it. Coincidence? No, I don't think so. Myrrh becomes very fragrant when someone crushes it. These believers would have found encouragement that even though the prospect of death threatened them, resurrection and eternal life with Christ were certain. It's guaranteed. It's not you got to endure to the end like every Calvinist preacher teaches today. How scary would it be to go to church this morning? and hear a horrible gospel message, hear an absolute pretzel twisting of the scriptures, and be sitting in your seat wondering, will I endure until the end? Folks, it's not about your endurance. It was about his, and he's already done it. Period. We can now partake in the joy the comfort the peace and the fellowship with Jesus Christ, because he did it all. We can look back at what, uh, at what Polycarp said and he said he served the Lord for 86 years and the Lord has never done him wrong. He's never going to do you wrong either. But how quickly we are ready to sacrifice our faith for convenience. How quickly we are ready to be totally silenced out of the sake of be tolerant. You, well, You don't want to hurt people's feelings. The gospel is going to cut. It's going to divide. It's going to set families apart. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And why would a good message like that cause division? Because mankind is sinful, it is wicked, and it is against everything that is God. Let the gospel message do what it's going to do, but shame on us if we stay silent. Shame on us if we stay silent. And that's what's happening in churches today. Because no one even knows. Boy, this church in Smyrna, they knew, and they bore the marks in their bodies. You're going to see later when we get into the scripture of this passage here how wonderfully deep some statements are. As a matter of fact, we get into it right now in verse 9. Jesus says, I know thy works. He said the same thing in verse 2 to Ephesus. And to Ephesus he said about their labor and patience and how they can't bear them that are evil. And they've tried them that say they're apostles. And, but there was an error with them. There was a problem. They didn't love. They had left the gospel for the sake of, rightly dividing the word of truth, but they left out the power of it. But Jesus says something very, very unique here, and in the threefold aspect of this letter, we can see this applies directly to us as well. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. That word tribulation in there, literally translated is pressures. Boy, you want to talk about pressures. And poverty, but thou art rich. Remember the city that they were located in. Wealthy, wealthy city. Merchant ships coming in and out. Trade happening every day late into the night, starting early in the morning. They were wealthy enough to have a music theater. So one can imagine they were selling things for that. People were coming and enjoying it. I could not find a good picture of what that theater would look like. I saw a recreation of what the one in Ephesus would have looked like. And we know that that was about 50,000. But this one could hold the whole population. So it was double that. Imagine what the sound must have been like there. I mean, it was a city of wealth and and merriment and all those things, except for the believers, except for the believers. Maybe some of those believers were musicians. Maybe they were people who handled the trade routes, and all of a sudden they understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the apostles' work. They got saved. They met in home churches. This is another thing, too, that I think is really, really important if you walk down the cities of Smyrna, you don't have to take a right on this street and a left on this street and there's the church front door. It didn't work that way. <laughs> they didn't have buildings. They weren't, a part of a, you know, they weren't exempt from taxes and stuff like that. They were in people's homes. You know, today, if somebody comes on your property and you don't want them there, you have the right to use deadly force against you, or uh, against them. Somebody comes into your home with the intent to do harm, you can take their life. Our government sets those things up to protect us. In this time... Their houses were being raided and taken, they were taken out, and they were being made poor. I don't think there's anything to say that that will be in the future too. We, uh, isn't it amazing that some of these amendments, the first one and the second one, being very important, are the ones that are under attack the most? These on-the-street videos, and you, 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 you hear from people's mindsets and ideas. We should take guns out of the hands of citizens. Yeah, every criminal's gonna go, man, so upset about that. I was really looking forward to wielding a weapon. I gotta obey the law though. Guys, they're criminals, hello. How sad it was about that shooting in, the, in a mall. And there was a good young man who had a shot. I mean, he, he, he took that man down, it was a one shot kill. Stop this man who was coming in and intent to. Have another mass shooting on our hands in America and all the local news on the left said it's a shame that uh, the law enforcement didn't get there sooner and we had to have a citizen you know a citizen was doing that that kid should be he shouldn't have to pay for another meal in his life <laughs> that's how this stuff works well-regulated militia well you know they're talking about muskets and stuff well guess what you believe in evolution I do too a muskets now a nine millimeter amen, amen. <laughs> It only applies for what they want to do. The point being made here is we have freedoms here in America. We have things that are preserved for us. The believers in this time, their homes were raided. It's, it was over. If you were found to be a part of this, the Jews in that city who were moving against it found you, brought you out, brought you in front of the city. You were tried. You're taken out. And most of the time when people were thrown in prison, as we're going to see later on in this passage here most of the time when people were thrown in prison it was not for the intent to actually just imprison them it was to coerce them it was to get them to be a little example and i'm sure there were many christians who reversed what they believed. not to say that jesus left them how great that is but that they did not keep the faith until the end and they were used as an example of you don't want to be like this person Who was suffering, and then the one who gave it all up said, Look how happy he or she is. Jesus says here something in parentheses, which is very important to see, but thou art rich. Woo. Hey, folks, if we were to tap into my bank account right right now, we would not say thou art rich, Pastor. (laughs) But guess what? I have an account in heaven, I have a home in heaven, and even if I didn't have any of that, I've got Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't, we don't need anything else." Oh, but we're told we do. Oh, have you diversified? Diversified what? <laughs> Did you know right now if every single American went to their bank account tomorrow morning and tried to withdraw that only 3% of them would be able to get that money? And I only have, like, $85 I need to get out. <laughs> you know, like, going say, nope, sorry, Mr. Martinez, someone else got here before you. <laughs> It's very interesting to see that this is not something that the Apostle John was saying. This is Jesus Christ himself saying to these believers, You are rich! How can we see that in the Scripture? Do we even need to cross-reference it? No. But it's great to see that the Holy Spirit in other places in Scripture said this same thing. Hold your place here if you would and go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Page 1252 in a church Bible or a Schofield Bible. This is a parenthetic here before a doxology. The doxology is there in verse 20 and 21. Beautiful portion of Scripture here in in Ephesians chapter 3, but look in verse 16. That he, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the reference there from verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory now look we're not just saying "Ooh, jesus said rich here and and the word here is rich too so we gotta line these things up you know i did a word search on the word rich and overwhelmingly it's used in a negative sense (laughs) overwhelmingly the rich young ruler he had a problem he was rich here on earth poor spiritually look at what it says in the end of this verse here According to the riches of his glory, we're asking. uh, The apostle here is praying according to the Lord's riches for this specifically for you to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Look up here. You are dead to the flesh. Boom. Gone. We are now made alive because of our new nature. It is worth it to invest in your new nature. Period. It's the only way that we're strengthened. It's the only way that we can have victory in our Christian life. It's not a remodel. Jesus was not a real estate investor, bought you at a low price, and now he's going to make you into something new. No, that old property is going to be destroyed, and there's going to be a new property built. And you and I can enjoy that. But if you and I think that we're going to be able to endure persecution of our own strength, you're wrong. You are wrong. And when the tribulation period happens and all these people who are doing their best to try to survive and get things done, boy, when a third of the earth's population is gone, hundreds of millions of people dying, water being turned into undrinkable water, the forest being burned up, what are you going to do then? To the believers in that time, the only thing that they can do is rely on Jesus Christ. And they will be brought before the world on a stage and they will have their heads removed from their body as a demonstration of power from that world government all i am saying to you about that is i'm glad i'll be gone i will be fitted and fat fitted for a robe and i'm going to be eaten as much as i can at the marriage supper of the lamb amen and i won't even get fat you know how wonderful it is? Uh, we didn't talk about this last week because we ran out of time, La Tida. but at the end of uh, the address to Ephesus, it talks about eating of the tree of life in the garden, in, uh, uh, in the paradise of God. When you go back and when you go to the end of Revelation there, it's, it's wonderful to see the tree of life to which we're going to eat has 12 different fruits, 12. Now, I don't like fruits now, but if it's in eternity, I'm going to like it then. Okay? All right. And we're going to actually pull from the leaves, mix it with water. It's going to be like a beautiful tea. Now, if you invited me to lunch today and you said, Pastor, we're going to have fruit and tea, I'd say, call me when we're going to get steak and potatoes. Okay? But it's wonderful to see that in eternity, we're not going to be some mindless monk. Oh, you know? We're not going to be like that. We're going to be able to sit and fellowship, have sweet fellowship with one another, be able to eat and drink refreshments, and guess what? You're not going to have too much tea that Jesus is going to be like, whoop, check your sugar, careful, what, careful of the inflammation that causes. We're going to have new bodies. I don't think we understand it. You know, like right now, it's like people are doing whatever they can to stay healthy and, and, and be wealthy, and all of a sudden those things are taken away. We were teaching on that last Wednesday. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. But guess what, folks? When we slip into eternity, it is exactly that, eternity, and it's forevermore. People ask me, do you think we're going to know our loved ones and things like that? I personally believe that we do, but can I be very candid with you? I'm going to know Jesus, and that's enough. That's enough. That's going to be enough for me. So we see here that it says, strengthen in the inner man, that Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The translators put a period there because the thought was over. But the communication here is that all of those things in 16, 17, 18, and 19 all start with the beginning. We are being granted this from the riches that God has in Jesus Christ. What? a joy and peace and fellowship that we can have now is there a way that we can do a little account transfer maybe we want to help somebody else can we help bring other people into these riches that are in christ yes i'm so glad that you asked as a matter of fact your salvation came with an account in which you can transfer to other people second corinthians chapter six you can let ephesians go second corinthians chapter six you want to talk about. uh Want to talk about a passage that includes suffering? Boy, I, I left it out of my message because, we you know, just for the sake of time. But you read verses 1 through 9 in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, and you see they suffered. We, we just finished our Galatians series a couple of weeks ago. And the thing that Paul said is, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ in my body. No man trouble me how interesting it was that he was always being questioned about whether he was a real apostle or not you know he met all the requirements he saw the resurrected jesus christ received information directly from him paul's gospel is not any it's not even paul's gospel it's the gospel hello it's the same thing but being written here there's a phrase verse 10 page 1234, uh, 1 2 3 4 in the scripture verse 10 in second corinthians chapter 6 as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. Now, hang on a second. There's a transfer there. See, when you got saved, you are now grafted into those promises that were promised to Abraham. You're now a part of this body of Christ, specifically in this new dispensation that we're in. As a part of that, it's not something that only belongs to you you can also introduce others to that same saving message the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ by his shed blood you can introduce people into that and by them believing they are now made rich folks this is the process of growth this is how churches should be functioning it's not the goal of this ministry here is not bring them in so they'll get saved no, you go out and lead him to Christ, and then we have sweet fellowship together. This is the process that was causing persecution. Boy, if, let me tell you, if the believers in the book of Acts in Jerusalem modeled what modern preachers are teaching today, the movement would have required new people. It wouldn't have gotten done. They were vocal about their faith, They were winning people to Christ. And as it says here, making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Do you see how this adds color and dynamics to what Jesus said? But thou art rich. Boy, if you came in today with your head held low because of all the suffering that you're going through, I want to encourage you. You can hold it high. You might not have anything here, but you are possessing all things in Jesus Christ. Boy, if Joel Osteen heard just that part of my message, he might invite me to Lakewood Ranch to speak. But it's not his gospel. He never talks about sin. He never talks about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He talks about, oh, you need help with your mortgage? Name it and claim it, baby. Nothing about reaching other people. It's all fluff. It's all feel-good stuff that, that helps nobody, not even the person who hears it, dangerous 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 mark and avoid it go back to revelation chapter two we're moving at a good pace i want to talk specifically about this next passage or this next phrase here because many people have dug way too deep way too deep into what jesus says here and have made it to be something that it's not Jesus is speaking here, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, what's being referenced here? The clearest explanation is always the one that we should go to first. And the very clear explanation here is that the Jews who were saying they were Jews because they were born into the family of Israel are not Jews because they have rejected their Messiah. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 2, and he says here, for a Jew is not just one who is a Jew outwardly of circumcision of their flesh, but one who is one inwardly a circumcision of the heart. Now that's expressive language. It doesn't mean we actually have to cut our heart or that we have to give our heart. The intent there is, it has nothing to do with this, it has everything to do with this. A completed Jew is not a Gentile. Listen to me closely now. A completed Jew is not a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Christian. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I have been grafted in. I am a fulfillment of that prophecy that was given to Abraham. Of thee, all the nations will be blessed. I rejoice in the Jews Messiah. But just because I believed on him does not now make me Israel, a part of the Jewish faith. That's very dangerous. Because what that leads to is Physical Israel is replaced, and now it's all the believers in America. What, folks? There are people with hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube, with big old whiteboards and big old heads, and they're going to show you all these graphics and all this. Ooh, wow, must be good. It's junk. You listen to what they say, and they say things like the Holocaust never exists; it never happened. And they say things like they rejoice when Jews are persecuted. Uh, Did you know that the church began, the body of believers began with Jews? And then it wasn't until Cornelius when people saw that a person who was not a Jew could get saved and sealed with the Spirit. The Jews are not exempt from eternal life. But we don't replace them. We're in this body which is not Jew or Gentile, male or female, bond or free. It's Jesus Christ. It's held by him. There's nothing cryptic here, nothing at all. There's not a six-hour series that we have to parse every word. It means exactly what it says, and this is what it means, that the people who were claiming to be Jews are not Jews because they have rejected Jesus Christ. Big old fat period. That's it. This is how Calvinism gets its replacement theology. They'll go to Romans 2 and they'll say this here. Then they'll go to uh, Romans 9, 6 and say, well, not all Israel is Israel. When Paul is specifically speaking to who? The Jewish people. Trying to reach them. Of the synagogue of Satan means exactly what it means. He wants to blind the minds of those that would believe. I want to look at that. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 3. This is on page 1232. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the gods of this world which blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus sake. Look up here. This is a threefold thing here. The first fold is you hide the gospel when you don't, when, when, I think, when you don't preach it and also when you don't know it well enough to share it with somebody else. That's not good, then we actually become a part of what Satan is doing in blinding the minds of those that believe not. And when Jesus says who, are Jew- who say they are Jews but are not, they're in the synagogue of Satan, is because they're helping him to continue blinding the mind of those who would believe otherwise. Polycarp's martyrdom was not the last one. There were thousands after it. Many of the games in the Colosseum dealt with people who had defaulted as slaves on their debt, or they were Christians. I remember going in Israel with Warren, and we looked at Beth Cheyenne. I think that's the name of it. And, And while we were there, you hear the stories of how this is where the blood of Christians was shed for pure sport and fun. That's out of the synagogue of Satan, and look how Jesus can still use that. That's the myrrh being crushed and releasing a fragrance. Wonderful that we see this, but how terrible it is if we're aiding what the devil's trying to do. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. When you run into someone who does not understand the gospel clearly, they're being blinded. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they tell me, I know I'm going to heaven because I was born into this religion. Well, I believe in God. The devils believe also and tremble. What is the point here? What are you trusting in to pay for that sin debt payment which is heading over you? Lest the light of the glorious gospel, and it, 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 it clarifies the gospel, the good news of Christ. Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And then the third folder here is that we are not to be preaching ourselves, but to be preaching Jesus Christ. And the people who were suffering in Smyrna, Jews and Gentiles, were preaching Jesus Christ and the ones who came to silence them were doing the work of the devil. Period. That's what that means. Go back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. Verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. What encouragement from Jesus Christ who hung on the cross and shed his own blood. Boy, it brings color to what it says in Hebrews 4. We don't have a high priest that was not touched with our infirmities, but likewise was tempted in all ways such as we have been tempted. Jesus Christ is the only one that you can cry out to in tragedy and he can answer back, I know how you feel. Are you rejected? by your family because you stand for him, he knows what that is like. Are you maligned and mocked because of your faith in Jesus Christ? They mocked him on the cross and even said, if you come down, we'll believe. The thief who believed on Jesus Christ for salvation was mocking him just a little bit before. Jesus knows exactly how we feel. And to the people who might be listening to this and the rapture has already happened, I just want to say very confidently to you that you don't have to fear the persecution that's coming, but it will be severe. Stand for the faith. Stand for Jesus Christ. And to us here who are in the room before the rapture happens, I tell people all the time, they want to know how bad it's going to get. I mean, at one point, they burned a man at the stake. You don't think it could get back to that then? Or uh, get back to that now? It sure could. It sure could. But Jesus says very clearly, don't be afraid of those things with which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and shall have tribulation ten days. This is a really good reference to when people were thrown into prison. They were not there to merely serve a sentence, but to be coerced, to be tried, to recant their faith. Not that it would take them out of eternal life, but it would hurt the forward progress of the gospel. Isn't it nice to know that in heaven we'll be able to see people who suffered horrible persecution but didn't give up? Those people should be honored, and they will be. Not only by me and you, but Jesus Christ will honor them. The 10 days here, I think, is literal, I don't know if that was a 10 days in the future. Some like to draw a comparison to the 10 emperors that persecuted these believers. I think it was a period of time, 10 days trying. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Very quickly, if you're taking notes here, there are uh, one, two, three, four, five crowns that can be attained by believers. And you know, the truth is that Not every believer is going to get each one. There is a very special group. I I call it special. My wife and I were talking about this. I call the persecutions of Christians and those people who have lost their lives, they're a very special group of believers because they are doing the work that continues to move this faith. And I know it's not being reported on in the news today. If you think you're hearing anything on whatever side of the aisle you listen to, that is truth. They got you hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I can see the hook coming out of your jaw. But there are people who are dying for their faith all over the world, and we're not hearing about it. It's it's intentional. But the first one here is this uh, imperishable crown. If you're taking notes, this is for leading a disciplined life. An imperishable crown, 1 Corinthians 9.25. The second one is a crown of rejoicing which is for evangelism and discipleship. And I think in the time that we're living right now, you ought to go get this crown. And I want to tell you it's not just about soul winning, although that is the most important thing. It's about being able to duplicate yourself. You know, some of the last things that Paul did on this life was minister to Timothy. I've been I've been asked to go to a conference that I'm going to be traveling up to in September. And the theme of the, con- uh, the conference is, what is the missing ingredient in discipleship today? And the message that I'm giving is called the on-deck circle. And for my baseball lovers out there, you know exactly what that is. For those who are uneducated, allow me to educate you. The hitter stands in the batter's box. If he's a lefty, he stands on the left side of the plate or righty on the right side of the plate. He has to be in that box. He can move up, back, left, or right, but it's got to be in the box. And a good hitter makes adjustments at the plate. At that time, he's the only person on the, that team that can help score a run. He can put it in the gap, he can put a ball in play, and a defensive man bobbles it, whatever it might be. But at that time, the one in the hitter's box is the most important player on the field for the offense, period. Then there is a man who stands in the on-deck circle. And he's off to the right or left side. And there's a plate that he stands on a big old circle and he watches the pitcher. And he times the fastball, and he times the changeup, and he times the curveball, because he knows, if that man strikes out, I'm up. And the comparison that I'm drawing to modern Christianity today is, none, most, of the pastors and pulpits today have the on-deck circle empty. They actually despise the youth that are coming up. And what's going to happen is, They're going to be done, and there's going to be no one to take it over, and the devil just waited you out, and he does exactly what he wants. That's the missing ingredient in discipleship today. And that crown of rejoicing, I'm glad that people are soul winners. But if you can't take somebody under your wing and disciple them, you need to work on that. That is a very important part of the ministry here. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 talks about that crown of rejoicing. And we can get that. We can also get the imperishable crown. Number three, a crown of righteousness, which is for loving the Lord's appearing. 2 Timothy 4 in verse 8. This is a crown of righteousness for looking for the Lord's appearing and being excited about it. Boy, I know there's one person in my life who's going to get that. My wife. She's always talking about we're going to get rich. She just said it this weekend was talking about something we had to do in the future, and she's like, I said, what? Well, we're going to get raptured before then. (laughs) said that before we had to put a down payment on a home before I graduated from college. We're we're going through the adoption process, and we had said, I remember her saying years ago, well, we don't have to worry about that. We're going to be raptured before then. The fourth one here is a crown of life, which is mentioned here in Revelation 2 and verse 10. It's also in James 1 and verse 12 for enduring trials and this I believe is for a very specific group of believers you and I may experience trials and persecution today but there are people who experience the loss of life or their, their, their body being beaten and tortured into submission Oy. the Lord does not look past that he will reward it and the fifth one here is a crown of glory for shepherding God's flock faithfully and that's what I intend to do here I know I get riled up and sometimes people say, this guy's too cocky. If you think I'm cocky in myself, you're not paying attention. I got an email recently that people said, uh, this, this young lady said, I speak too harshly on sin. Uh, well, I'm not sorry about that because sin is what separates us from God. And if we as believers think we're just going to live it up until he comes back, shame on you and shame on me if I don't speak out against it. But those are the five crowns, the one, an imperishable crown, a crown of rejoicing, righteousness, a crown of life, which is mentioned in our passage here, and a crown of glory. Now, for the threefold application, the believers in Smyrna would receive this as they were persecuted and lost their lives. The modern churches today that are clear on the gospel, they're actually a part of the body of Christ. As they suffer, they will also be rewarded. And for the believer who goes through the same persecution, you will get it too. Isn't that a wonderful promise and guarantee? I think it is. Now, this last part, I love it. Pastor, you've said that about every verse. I know. But I love this because, look, there's a transition that happens. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Listen. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Listen closely. Jesus has now moved out of a direct address to Smyrna, and he says, anybody who wants to hear what I'm saying to this church come in here and look at what it says. This is again, the second time of seven that we're going to hear to him that overcometh. Boy, the Calvinist is going to step on a nail with this one. They're not going to like it because what this says very expressly is he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is a double negative. Shall not in any way be hurt of the second death what is the second death it's in revelation chapter 20 when all of those who stand at the great white throne judgment experience the second separation of soul and spirit from god forever in hell the guarantee here is for the threefold the believers in smyrna the modern churches today and for the individual believer if you are one that overcomes You will not be hurt by the second death. You will not in any way. No way. Boy, here come the people with the ammo for any way. What about if I do this? Nope. You mean to tell me? It's always funny when I'd soul win to teenagers and they'd always go to these two things to talk about. It's the worst thing you can ever do. So you mean to tell me if I live a life really badly, I rob a bank and kill somebody, But I've already believed on Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. I don't know why bank robbery and murder are tied together as the worst thing. (laughs) But guess what? You're an overcomer if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's in 1 John chapter 5. You need to understand that. This is not the one that says... This is not speaking to the people who only overcome in Smyrna because Jesus has opened up the invitation. Anybody who wants to hear what God says, let him hear what I'm going to say. If you're an overcomer, you shall not be hurt of the second death. This is for anybody who puts their faith in Christ. Not for those who just endure to the end. Sorry, John. Sorry, all these people who like to teach that phrase. They take Matthew 24 and they totally butcher it. They ruin the message there. But very clearly, this is talking to anybody who believes you're not going to be hurt by the second death. Look what it says in verse 7. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The same invitation is made there. Okay, I made an address to Ephesus. You're doing good. You got caught lacking on this. Get it together. Anybody who wants to hear, you're gonna over, if, if you're an overcomer, you're going to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Well, that's great. Okay, now we're talking to Smyrna. All right, Smyrna, you're doing an excellent job. Keep it up. Don't fear those things that the synagogue of Satan is going to do to you you uh, continue and be persecuted for your faith, I'm going to give you a crown of life. Everybody else, hear me now. Anyone who's an overcomer, you will not be hurt by the second death. Wow, the organization and structure of Jesus as he speaks. You can close your Bibles. The things that we read in the Scripture are not just to make us feel good. We're supposed to take these truths as believers and get them out to other people. And as you do that more and more effectively, the world will come down upon you. You will try to be silenced. Just remember, the more pressure comes down on you, it is the breaking of the shell so that as you are crushed, the message continues. Boy, I don't like how that sounds. I don't know. All the songs on the Joy FM say, I'm worthy. No, you're not. He is worthy. You are valuable. You are valuable in two cents. That you are a sinner and now you're saved by grace and you should go be a servant. You serve him by caring for others. Tomorrow when we meet in there for our members class, this is not for you to become identified with the body of Christ in Calvary. That, what? People like to take people who trust in Christ and they get baptized into the church. What? What? I don't want you to be baptized in the Calvary Community Church of Tampa. What is that? Not in the scripture. We know what baptism is. It's a picture. The whole point of you wanting to join the church here is you're rolling up your sleeves. You're saying, you know what, pastor? I want to get involved. And I say, great, because I got work for you. Boy, let me tell you how some members were used on Thursday. This old, well, I'm not old, but this guy here thought I'm going to change the faucets in the ladies bathroom and all the host of heaven said grab a seat watch this (laughs) get underneath there and uh robert comes in there thank god for robert he says do you need any help i'm literally on my back looking up at this stuff i had to put my glasses on because the the thing that holds the porcelain sink was so rusted it was like you know coming down everywhere i said yeah i could use some help and we spent an hour and a half almost two hours Trying to get the nut loose on the thread of the washer. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how many times I, I thought, there's got to be a tool for this. There has to be a tool for this. It is. It's called a basin wrench. And I didn't have it. <laughs> we had pliers and we had all sorts of wrenches. And then here comes Trent. And we're getting in there. And, and we finally got the first one done. And then the second one, it was tough. I, I got a sawzall. This is as redneck as it gets. I got a sawzall. And as I'm walking in here to get the tool, I'm thinking, this is not, I'm not supposed to be suggesting this. I'm the leader here. Someone else is supposed to suggest this. And I say, no, we don't do that. But I'm the one getting it. And we had to cut the faucet line. And thank goodness we didn't hit any water or anything. And then the thread was so tight in there that it took three of us to pull, pull, pull. And then Trent did it because we loosened it. I mean, he says he did it but I think it's because we loosened it. Anyway, but finally we got it all done. And you know what was great? You know what was great about that that little silly story here? Here's a kid from Georgia who came down here for one reason. I want to serve the Lord. Here's Robert and Erica, who we got a chance to lead to the Lord in ranch years ago. They're still here, they're faithful, and they're serving the ministry. It's just a faucet. It's so much more than that. We got to fellowship with one another. You know, I'm not sending them a check. You know what I'm saying? Hey, here you go. Here's a little bonus for that faucet. (laughs) No, they're going to be rewarded for the work that they do here. You want to be a member here at Calvary Community Church? It's doing stuff to help. It's doing stuff to help preserve the property, preserve the ministries, so that we reach more people. But it's all nothing if we haven't overcome the world. And we already have, because we have Jesus Christ. What an encouragement verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 are in Revelation chapter 2. Now next week, we're going to talk about Pergamos, okay? This is is a tough one. We can see a lot of comparison to modern churches today. But remember, it was only Smyrna and Philadelphia that received only uh, commendation from the Lord. All the other churches, hey, listen up isn't it good to know that our Lord is forgiving? His mercies are new for us every morning. We've got a purpose when we wake up. Oh, the stocks are down, inflation's up, gas is up. God is still good, and there are still lost people that need to be saved. Let me explain to you the most important news in all the world, that this hand here would represent you and me and my wallet, represents sin. I put it on top of my hand because the Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. To come short means we miss the mark. This is A person who is perfect, who has no sin, and that person doesn't exist. God loves us, but he hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, like I said, as the scripture said, Revelation 21, verse 27, there shall nothing enter into it that defileth, maketh abomination, or even a lie. It's not good enough to be good enough. You gotta be perfect. Well, I'm never ever gonna sin again. Great, how about yesterday? Don't talk about that. I think it's funny, people that say, I've never sinned. I'm like, where is your wife? May I talk to her, please? (laughs) She'll tell me. You got to be perfect to get into heaven, but we're all sinners. We all fall short. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. It's not going to church enough. It's not giving enough money or doing enough good works to save you. It's not a prayer. It's not asking the Lord to come into a certain body part or living a life that is evidenced of change. It's death. That's the requirement. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the first and the last and the one that was dead and is now alive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My friends, and to all those who are listening, it is literally that simple. Jesus Christ took our sin. He became sin for us as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2. He bore our sins in his own body for the purpose of paying it. And look, he didn't go down in there in a ring in Madison Square Garden in hell and fight the devil for three days. That's an old story that is, it's not true. You want to know when sin was paid for? When that blood was shed and Jesus Christ said, it is finished. That is when the payment for sin was accepted. He gave up the ghost, descended into the heart of the earth, took those believers in paradise. And guess what? You and I can partake of this eternal life by simple faith in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, when the Lord looks at you, he sees his son. Now you're an overcomer. The world's going to crush you. It's going to discourage you. But Jesus has very clearly said, fear not these things. But maybe you're here today and you don't know. You don't know where you're going to go when you die. Let's get that settled. Because folks, you could walk out of here, it just rained, slick on the ground, you get in a wreck, and it's done. You know where you're going to go when you die? Or are we playing a game? Well, you know. I'll I'll get it figured out. Don't wait. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Will you pray with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here this morning and you're not sure where you're going to go, you just heard a gospel presentation. That word gospel means good news. And it's good news because right now, right where you sit, you can get saved. It's not an emotional experience, it's not a transformative thing that people are supposed to see on the outside. It is simply being passed from death unto life, as Jesus said, and it is by believing on him that he paid for your sins with his shed blood. I want to pray for you. If that makes sense today, why not believe right where you're sitting? Why not put your faith in Jesus Christ? If that makes sense and you're doing that for the first time today, I want to pray for you and rejoice with you. Would you just raise your hand and let me know, Pastor? That made sense, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you, anyone at all, before we close. Raising your hand doesn't save you, it just lets me know And I want to rejoice. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Folks, persecution is coming. It's already happening overseas, and it's going to come here to America. We see in the book of Revelation all the things that will happen in the tribulation period. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the persecution that is coming. Instead, prepare yourselves with knowledge knowledge and experience to win souls and disciple others. Father, thank you for this wonderful letter to Smyrna. Thank you for the believers who were faithful until the end. We know that they will be rewarded. Lord, give us strength, as we saw in Ephesians, according to the riches of your grace, that we can understand all the height and depth and length of your love. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.